There you go. Okay. Yep. Yep. We're going to do a little bit of Middle Eastern geography here. Now, about 2,000 years ago, an event happened um, that affects every one of our spiritual ancestors, or for most of us in this room, our spiritual ancestors. So about 80 generations ago, your great, 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 times 80, um, grandparents. See, for most of us, most of us, we are not actually ethnically Jewish. And if you are, welcome, by the way, and thank you for being here. But most of us in this room are not. We, we come from other nationalities, other ethnic backgrounds. And the story that we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 10. So find that in your Bibles. Get your Bibles out. You're glow-in-the-dark little like phone ones. You can use it for that. Um, or, you know, get one, the paper Bibles are good too. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 10 because this is the moment. This is the moment when our spiritual ancestors, if those of us that would be defined as Gentiles, in other words, non-Jewish, this is where, it was de- where, um, where the early church discovered that the Gentiles were not just spectators to the family of God, but full participants. They didn't just get to watch the work happening in other people. They got a seat at the table. So this is a big moment. And it's kind of fun. Like, now, when, when you open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, it might even say Acts of the Apostles, right? Which, which it, certainly the book is about the things that, that the apostles are doing, and it's about the launch of the early church. As we get to see the whole, the whole story, I almost wonder whether that the book of Acts shouldn't be referred to as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because as the Holy Spirit is released in the church, we see God orchestrating this incredible work. And even though every single person involved in the work is a free moral agent, every person's making their own choices, some of them good, some of them bad. As we see the big picture, God is in control. And he is on the move. And things are happening and change is happening. And the, and the single biggest change that we see is, throughout the book of Acts is this shift from the good news being solely for the nation of Israel to the good news being extended to all people. It's the move from the other to the brother, that the other becomes the brother. That's the big theme that we're going to see here. And here in Acts chapter 10, and uh, if you love the Bible, you're going to love today because we're just going to actually read the entire chapter uh, with some commentary in there. Because this is the moment. This is the story where all of that changes. Now, it's interesting. And and if you're in one of our discussion groups in the book of Acts, like there's all these things, all these kind of theological assumptions that we make now, a couple thousand years later, things that we, we, you know, about the Trinity and about the gospel is for all people and all these kind of big, grand assumptions. We have to remember that in the book of Acts, they are discovering all this on the ground. And, and for, for the, the people on the ground sometimes, people in the midst of the experience, uh, it can look a little bit messy. Kind of like our lives. As God works in our lives, sometimes it feels messy. But one of the, one of the gifts of God's word, one of the gifts of historical perspective, as, as we look back on all this stuff, we go, wow. God was at work all along. 
And it might have looked random in the moment. It might have even been scary in the moment or weird in the moment. But God was doing something through every, every part of the story. Now, as we pick things up, um, let's, let's, let's move in for an, oh, yes, I love our media team. Okay, so a lot of the action has been happening here in Jerusalem. So Jesus is buried. Jesus is resurrected. The Holy Spirit is given to the church in Jerusalem. And things go well for a while. And then persecution hits. And, and believers are, are being scattered in all different directions. And, and last week we looked at uh, the story of Philip. And uh, how, how he ended up uh, up in Samaria. here in, Somewhere around Jacob's well. In Sychar. Somewhere around in there. And... Um, and how uh, people started to respond to the good news there. And so Peter and John make the, make the journey up from Jerusalem to Sychar to check all this stuff out. And the, and the Samaritan church experiences the Holy Spirit. And they have kind of another mini, mini Pentecost there. Then they head on back. And Philip, and God, remember how God spoke to Philip? And he says, go on the road, the desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza. That place that now all of us are praying for. Everyone knows where Gaza is. I hope you're praying for Gaza and the, and the people who live in Gaza daily. I hope you are. And he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. And bit by bit by bit, people that were thought to be on the margins, the, the ethnic margins of faith, the Samaritans, the, they would be considered half Jewish. They're kind of the Jews, and I, I'm going to use a derogatory term because that was, that was how they viewed the Samaritans. They would, the Jews would view the Samaritans as half-breeds. They, they were only half-Jewish. First, they discovered that the Samaritans are responding to the gospel. Then you have this man from Ethiopia from like a good 1,500 miles away. Now he's responding to the gospel. And so Philip, he, then he finds his, finds his way. And if you remember the story, Philip ends up all the way, you know, preaching the gospel all the way north to Samaria. And the funny part is, Philip is up in Samaria, and as we pick up the story, or Philip in Caesarea, sorry, Caesarea Philippi, uh, he's up in Caesarea, and, uh, and he's not actually part of the story. So, we're going to pick things up in Caesarea. Now, because in, in Caesarea, there wasn't just Philip, there was also a man named Cornelius, he was a centurion, so he is a Roman. He is a Roman official. He is a Roman um, general, you could think of. <clears throat> be in charge of a, of a hundred men in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and they gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, what did he say? Cornelius. Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in, what's that word? Fear. Fear. I'm going to go on one little rabbit trail here. You know how in the greeting cards, you see the angels and they just, they just look, they're just cute. Remember that old show, Touched by an Angel? You're like, oh yeah, (laughs) go ahead. You know, she was cute. (laughs) Every single time an angel shows up in the Bible, the response is fear. Every single time. 
An angel shows up in the Bible. The response is fear. So, so Cornelius, ha- and, and you think, if, if, here's a guy who is used to standing in front of, uh, like in commanding a hundred soldiers of what at the time is the most advanced army on the planet. So Cornelius is not a guy who's afraid of much, right? If you're used to commanding a, a troop of a hundred Marines, you got them hanging around your house, you would feel pretty secure, I suppose, Right? But he sees an angel and he's terrified. That's the response. The angel answered him, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Just a couple little comments here. So memorial offering in the Old Testament, um, one of the types of offerings was a grain offering. So you'd offer all this grain and a portion of the grain would get burned up on the altar, but the larger portion of the grain would actually be given to the priests as food. And so the, the small part that get burned up on the altar was called the, the memorial offering. It was, a, it was one small part of the offering that represented the whole. Do you see where that's going? Cornelius, your prayers have come up before God as a memorial offering. In other words, Cornelius, what you have done, you may not know this right now, but you are actually representing a larger people group. One of the interesting things about God is he, God is he's looking to save all people. The gospel is for all people. The way that he does, the way that he saves all people is by sending one person, our Savior, Jesus. He is the new Adam and he represents all of humanity. To, to save all of humanity, he sends one. To, to, to include all of the Gentiles in the gospel, he reaches one. God is both, in the way he works, is both universal and so, so, so specific. So when you tell somebody God loves you, it's true because God loves everybody. And as God works in your life, so often his work in your life, and I imagine this is true for your story if you're a follower of Jesus, you can point back to very particular events when God reached your heart. Very particular people that he sent your way. Very particular moments that happened. God is universal and he is so specific. His love is for all people and each person. And God's work in your life is not an assembly, assembly line build. It's, a, it's custom work. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a piece of work. You're a piece of God's custom work. Every one of us is involved in the, is, it has, is eligible to respond to the saving love of Jesus. God's love extends to every person that ever lived. And God's work is as individual as you are. And both things are true at the same time. So, he's a memorial offering. He's a memorial offering. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner. In other words, he's a leather worker whose house is by the sea. Side note, it was by the sea because leather work stinks. That's why. 
Anyways, so when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of the attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Sent them to Joppa. So they're up here in Caesarea and they go down to Joppa, right here, right here. It's about 35 miles away. 35 miles. So this would be, if, if you are really in shape, that's about a 12-hour walk. So they got on it because we pick up the story the very next day. So they, they were on it. Because, see, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the roof. Peter, who was down in Joppa. Oh, by the way, okay. So, so remember, so Peter, Peter and John, they, they had been back in Jerusalem. Well, uh, so they had started to preach in various places. They ended up in Lydda. And, um, oh, well, I'm trying to remember. Oh, Aeneas. Aeneas. Uh, so a man who was paralyzed was, was healed. And then, um, and then as, they're, as they're there, word gets sent from Joppa that, uh, w- w- that there was a, a woman there named Tabitha who had gotten sick and had died. And so they asked Peter, hey, Peter, will you come? And Peter comes and he prays for her and she comes back to life. Whoa! Okay, and, and, and so amazingly enough, um, or maybe unsurprisingly, that, that got people's attention. So there's all sorts of Christian activity happening in Joppa. Let's, let's find out more about this Jesus who brings people back to life. So anyways, so Cornelius is up in, up in Caesarea. Peter's there in Joppa. Okay, now where do we pick things up? There we go. Okay, so, he, so Peter goes up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, verse 10. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds. You can, if you've got your Bible out, you might underline that. All kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles. You get reptiles. Okay? And birds. And a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back. To heaven. So let's pause there for a second. Because, see, we need to understand just how, how scandalous this moment is, okay? One thing that every single Jewish, Jewish person would be raised with are, are some very particular food laws that come out of the, the book of Leviticus, chapter 11. Uh, there were limitations on the, on the animals that you could eat. They needed to be something with uh, split hooves. They needed to chew the cud so you don't get to eat pigs, so no bacon. Everybody goes, oh. Also, no lizards. You're okay with that? <clears throat> and no snakes. No, yeah, that's a good plan, I know. Good. Yeah, I, you've eaten snake? No, have you? No, okay, I don't know. Who, who here has eaten snake? Tastes like chicken, right? That's right, that's right. Tastes like chicken. Everything, tastes, everything gross tastes like chicken now. So, no snakes. Snakes are not on the menu. Rabbits aren't on the menu. 
And so Peter sees this, this sheet. All these different animals, Peter, kill and eat. And, and Peter is scandalized. Absolutely no way, Lord. Absolutely no way. And then the voice says, do not call anything impure that God has. Do you have, do you have your Bible still open? God has what? Made clean. Made clean. In other words, this vision is not saying, oh, the Old Testament, we got that wrong. Oh, the Old Testament, the kosher law is just kidding. Not that. It says, Peter, something new is happening. Peter, something new is happening. Peter, Jesus changes everything. Friends, Jesus changes everything. Now, how many times did this vision appear to Peter? Three. Hold that number three in your mind. How many times did Jesus tell Peter he would deny him? When Jesus was resurrected and, and having breakfast with Peter and a bunch of the other disciples on the side of the the sea, he comes to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? How many times does he ultimately ask? Three times. That's right, Rich. This vision occurs three times. This is ringing Peter's bell. And so Peter, this is the, the first big shift that we see in the book of Acts. Peter, Peter changed his mind. Peter had been looking at the world through one lens and he changed his lens. He started to see things in different ways. How many people here, you would say, I'm stubborn? I'm stubborn. Okay, spouses, you agree with that? Okay, how many of you here, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands or who has a stubborn spouse. Now, being stubborn can be a really good thing. It means, you've got, it means that you're not just going to get swayed by any little thing. Peter... Peter was a pretty hard-headed man. He was a pretty stubborn man. He was pretty resolute. Every strength has an associated weakness. But God worked with Peter's stubbornness. It took a lot to change his mind, but it did. Peter, don't call anything unclean that God has made clean. Peter, it's not that what you did in the past was wrong. My word still applies, but I'm doing something new. Remember, friends, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. Jesus came to fulfill it. Jesus changes everything. And Peter starts to get this, this, this message because while Peter, moving on to verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius, they found out where Simon's house was and they stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, Peter, for I have sent them. 
Now, Peter went down and he said to the man, I'm the one you're looking for, so why have you come? And the men repeated the story. We've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man. He was respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel asked him to come to, come to his house. He asked, come, told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. If you've got your Bibles open, underline that phrase. That's one of the first, that's one of the other big changes. Peter invited them in to be his guest. See, good Jews never eat with Gentiles, but God is doing a new thing. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. And the social barriers that used to exist, Jesus has been breaking those down. And people that he thought were on the margins, people he thought were unclean, people he thought were in, impure, don't call unclean what God has made clean. Don't call impure what God has made clean, pure, right. And so they ate together. It would be, a, and they even spent the night there. That's Middle Eastern hospitality. That's how it works. You ever had a really awkward Thanksgiving meal, like with family and such? Yeah, uh-huh. Some of you are looking forward to that, or, or not, you know. Oh, okay, you know. <laughs> we're coming up to it, we're coming into an election year, like, so like, it, things are going to get funky, right? It, it's going to get tense around tables all over America. Can you imagine what that meal would have been like? Jews and Gentiles sitting around the table for, well, on purpose for the first time. And it doesn't end there. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, because remember it's a 35-mile trip, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Can you imagine that moment? What would it be like to see an army general, a leader of a hundred marines or hundred navy seals, fall on his face before a fisherman. Jesus changes everything. And Cornelius' heart has been changed. But Peter made him stand up. Stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. While talking to them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius gives now the, the, a familiar story. Cornelius answered three days ago, I was in, in my house praying at this hour about three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. 
And now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. So Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. But he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of of the devil because God was with him. We are our witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on the cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and and to testify that he is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Who? Everyone. Everyone. From any nationality, from any ethnic background, from any race, from any socioeconomic group, from any criminal history, anyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. I want to point out one thing before we keep moving forward here. Now, Cornelius at this point, he was already a really, really good man. He had a good reputation. He helped the poor. He prayed on a regular basis. He was a believer in God, fundamentally a believer in God. And being good and just being good, turns out it wasn't actually good enough. That there was still something as good as Cornelius was that Cornelius was lacking. And what was that? Jesus. That no matter how good we are, no matter how good we live, and, and, and people all over the thankfully there are a lot of quote-unquote good people out there. But no matter how good we are on a human scale, all of us fall short of the perfection of God. That means that all of us, no matter how, how much good you have done, all of us need Jesus. It's not just about having a, having a really good scorecard in life, though there is nothing wrong with doing lots of good. It's not just about having a good scorecard in life. It's about knowing Jesus but having a living relationship with God where our sins are forgiven and we are welcomed into the family of God because of what Jesus did on your and my behalf. Everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. As Christians, it's not just enough that we go around doing good things, though I hope we do, and I hope that's, and that is one of the best ways that we win the, um, win the right to tell people about Jesus. Christians should be, we should be good. We should be known as do-gooders. 
We should be a blessing to our community, a blessing to our city. We should be pouring our lives out for the benefit of others. And all of that, as good as that is, all of that, all of that is just the, the means and the platform to tell people about the best news ever, which is that there is a God who loves you, a God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me and for us, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Everyone needs forgiveness. Everyone needs Jesus. And so as Cornelius and his household, as they're hearing all this, we pick up the story again. While Peter was speaking these words, verse 44, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So another mini Pentecost happens right there in Cornelius' living room. And Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus, and they asked Peter to stay with them. For how long? A few days. Another one of the big shifts. Peter stayed. And on that day, some roughly 2,000 years ago, 80 generations ago, roughly, your spiritual ancestors got grafted in to the family of God. And they ate together around the table, and it probably was real awkward at first. And as we pick up the story next week, we're going to look at what the, whole, what the early church did of trying to navigate all this stuff as they're figuring out what the new cultural rules are. As the family of God is not just the Jewish people. It, it always will be. But the, but the family is expanding to all who will put their hope and faith in Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter your skin color, your socioeconomic background, you've been moved out of the category of other and into the category of brother. That if you believe in Jesus, you and I and we our family. We have to figure that out. Figure out what that means to really work together and be a family of faith together because Jesus changes everything. He breaks down every human barrier, every international border, it doesn't mean those things don't exist. It doesn't mean those things don't matter. But it means that there is something that, it, that supersedes all of it. And that's Jesus. He brings people together who otherwise you could never imagine being together. He makes family in places that people could never imagine family 
existing. Are you glad that you've been included in the family of faith? Just to do a, a little bit of roaming around for a moment here. When you, when you hear about how, how you've been included in the family of faith, what does that mean for you? Who, who's got a word to describe it? Thankful. Everything. Hope. Thanks, Paul. That you are part of God's family. What does that mean to you? Mercy. Belonging. Included. Loved. Redemption. That no matter your past, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your social status, salvation, Jesus died for you. Healing. And it's available to all because Jesus changes everything. So if you're here today and you, and you, you, you feel like you're kind of an outsider looking in on faith, keep Acts chapter 10 open. Because your great, 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 great spiritual grandparents in that moment and in that story, got included in God's story. And you're eligible to receive the gospel. And the good news is for you. We know it. We know it because that's how it happened.